Hej och välkommen till DNB:s hälsokonferens. Det är er torsdag 12 december 2019 och detta här är er en av sex specialepisoder från konferensen. Detta här är er en samsändning mellan Radforsk sin podcast Radium och DNB sin podcast Utbytte. Jag är er Marius Brunhaugen från DNB Market så är er programledare för podcasten Utbytte och vid sina mig så sitter Elisabeth Andersson som är er programledare för podcasten Radium. Hej Elisabeth. Hej. Jag sitter här från Elle så har jag stuckt av ända. Jag ska lova lova inte göra det heller. Eh hyggligt önskar välkommen till den andra sällskapspodcasten här från konferensen, där vi snackar med många av portföljsällskapen till Radforsk och denna gången så har vi med oss Nordic Nanovector. Ska först önska välkommen till dig Jonas Einarsson. Tack så Elisabeth. Det är er ju artigt att ha en samsändning med våre, om våra sällskaper med en podcast som heter Utbytte. Ja. Det är er väl inte det som präglar våra sällskaper ännu, men men kan komma en gång i tiden. Vi, vi har ambitionerna, ska vi, vi säga si det så. Ja. ja Rätt och slett. Um, men uh, denna gången ska vi ha med oss uh, Nordic Nanovector som jag sa och uh, då tror jag vi ska bara f- uh, skifta över till uh, engelsk uh, så att uh, Eduardo skönner vad vi säger. So welcome CEO Eduardo Bravo in Nordic Nanovector. Thank you. Thank yes. you very much. Nice to have you back in the podcast. No, thank you for having us back. Yeah. We're very delighted to be here. Good and thank you for also taking in time. I know it's a busy, busy time for you. Uh, you had a news release today, but I think we will get back to that afterwards. Um, Marius, you're the host today. We're yeah. on your turf, so you can start with a question. Ah, it's my uh, pleasure. So uh, welcome, Eduardo. I, I'll, t- I'll take. We'll start with uh, if you could give us a short introduction to the company. As an elevator uh, pitch, uh, just so we have everybody along. Yeah. So uh, Nordic Nanovector is a company that is specialized in radio immunotherapy for treating cancer patients. And uh, I think that what distinguishes Nordic Nanovector from other companies is that we are very advanced. We have a lot of data already in real patients that suffer from these uh, devastating diseases that demonstrates that we have a, a product being developed that really satisfies a, a market need. I mean, patients today um, actually die from these forms of, of cancer, and uh, we hope that with the, uh, the particularities of, of betalutin, one single dose, very mild side effects, and very impressive efficacy, uh, we will bring to the market something that will make a difference to those patients. Uh, we can uh, continue with diving a little bit more into the technology. You mentioned beta-lutein. This is your lead uh, lead compound. But can you tell us a little bit more on how it works, uh, what kind of cancers you are looking into, the clinical trials? Yes. So uh, today beta-lutein is being developed for uh, two types of non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is the um, uh, type of hematological cancer. And uh, there we're developing the first indication is uh, follicular lymphoma. We're actually going for what is called third line. So patients that have failed two previous therapies in, uh, in uh, follicular lymphoma. And we have uh, on top of that lead indication where actually have two other clinical trials ongoing. One that we call Archer 1, uh, which is a combination of betalutin with rituximab, which is the gold standard in follicular lymphoma for second line follicular lymphoma. So this is uh, uh, only patients that have failed only one previous line. 
And finally, we have one clinical trial ongoing in uh, what is called diffuse large B-cell lymphoma that we always call DLBCL, which is a very aggressive form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Uh, And again, we've just announced, as you mentioned uh, on the introduction, uh, a short press release today giving a little bit more information on the uh, outcome of the uh, first uh, patients on that trial. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can take the news. Uh, what was the news? What did you uh, present today in the so, press release? So what we, you know, we 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 tried to uh, to uh, go back to the market and stick to our milestone. So we we promised the market that we will give an update on the DLBCL data before the end of the year. Uh, we recruited and we announced that we had recruited uh, the fourth court uh, on, on time. Uh, unfortunately, one of the uh, three patients in that court uh, experienced what is called a dose-limited toxicity, so some uh, reversible, but at that point considered to be sufficiently serious adverse events that the, uh, the protocol specifies that you should recruit an additional three patients to demonstrate whether indeed the dose is too high for those patients or it was just an, an you know a, a, a statistical error yeah. and that therefore this the higher doses is still well tolerated and therefore the dose that you should move forward with mm. and uh, you know this is why these experiments are done it's it's painful because you go every three patients you need to stop and wait three months until the uh, review committee gives you the green light and in this case unfortunately one of the patients had this side effect we need to uh, recruit three more patients wait three months and then hopefully communicate on the results of all this uh, then it will be 15 patients uh, to the market i understand because when you when you treat one patient i mean that can be just uh, skewed to that patient so i mean this doesn't it's uh, yeah doesn't really mean more than this uh, patient got the toxicity exactly and all all yeah. the all these phase uh, ones are are done exactly the same. It's yep. usually three patients, uh, and uh, you know that's considered to be sufficient. That if you get more than one uh, sign of toxicity, you actually go back immediately. You don't wait. If you get one, you uh, repeat another three patients to see if it's just a statistical error. If you get none, you move to the next dose. Mm. That's that's mm. it's a very standard design. We just uh, have the patient safety as as a priority, of course. Yeah. Can you say or elaborate a little bit on how this uh, trial will progress? Will it progress as a combination trial? Or? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good, because you know people are looking at this and, and we're doing betalutin as a standalone therapy. But we know DLBCL is an extremely aggressive uh, disease. And, and from the very beginning, we've said, all we're doing is trying to find the right dose to move forward in DLBCL. But definitely, we're going to be moving in, uh, in most likely in what is called a consolidation regimen or in combination. Basically, what we will do is add the beta-lutein to those patients that respond without achieving a complete response to whatever they are receiving and trying to push the number of partial responders into complete responders. Because that transformation from a partial response to a complete response, it's what really extends duration of, uh, of survival. So I think that that will be, that's how these compounds in the past show the, the biggest effect, and we believe that's where betalutin should go in the future. Jonas, does it make you enthusiastic to hear this? Yeah, it, it really does, and, and it, it sort of fits in because that's what we've seen in, in uh, the first trials with betalutin, that is, when you get a complete response, you will have a much longer duration of, re- of, of response. So trying to, to, uh, to push these patients from partial response, and I, I don't, 
I don't think that you could use betalutin only as a monotherapy in this because it's too aggressive. But it, it, it has uh, its uh, effect, and if you can... So the goal is to push these partial responders to complete responders. I think that's a good strategy, so that, that fits in. If we uh, zoom out again a little bit, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the competitive landscape, uh, how large the market is, and uh, also short about the market access? So we've, we've done a lot of work. Again, for a company our size, at the stage of development we are, we're really doing, uh, I think, the work that needs to be done to ensure that the day we get the approval, we have a successful plan uh, to be successful commercially with, uh, with Betalutin. So we, we know very well the, uh, com- the, the competitive landscape. To be honest, there's nothing out there and nothing that is coming on the short term that we believe... Um, it's a real threat given the, the, the beauty of the data and the singularity of the profile of betalutin for uh, follicular lymphoma. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're very excited with the first three patients on Archer. But, you know, this is very early time, so we need to wait until we recruit uh, additional patients and we, can, and we can certify that indeed the push in complete response goes to, uh, to, uh, to, to new numbers. Um, but I think that the... the company is ready. We know exactly the structure that we will need in the U.S. in terms of human resources. Uh, We know the number of sites that we need to cover. We know what is the right right positions uh, to have early on. And we've done a lot in terms of actually market access. So understanding how to price betalutin, which has the the beauty of having a single dose uh, product becomes a a liability when you're doing pricing because you, you get everything in one go. So, um, you know, also understanding what are the pricing options and what is the price level at which we will have a competitive compound has taken a lot of the effort. But I think that all that will pay the day we have an approval and we have a product that will hopefully be commercially successful. That's great uh, Great to hear. We have to talk about financing. Uh, how is the situation for the company there now? So we've just uh, raised uh, in uh, in October um, uh, a significant amount of of capital, uh, and uh, you know that has extended our cash runaway until the end of 2020. And uh, at that point in time, I think that we uh, we will have two major milestones. Uh, I would call under the belt. One is finalizing the recruitment of Paradigm, and I think that that's priority number one. That's where we're putting all our efforts. And the second one is getting the Archer data, which again, because of the value of this combination approach for the future, it's it's a validation not only for that particular indication, which is very important, but it's also uh, a way to show that having a different mechanism of action that combines well with other products will make Betalutin a, a partner of choice in, uh, in the future. Hmm. Good to hear. <clears throat> Jonas, in your opinion, what's the most uh, important news or, or, or milestones that we are waiting from? Yeah, from, but from what Mauritana? I'm waiting for is, of course, the Archer data, because uh, if they can do something similar to what you did with the first three patients that will be fantastic data so uh, that's very very important and also because I think the future for betalutin is in combination with, uh, with rituximab and then you open the gate to, uh, to the second line not only to the third line so that's very important and uh, the other thing is of course the recruitment in Paradigm that's uh, the real main question will are, are they still on track will they deliver the, 
the enrollment and the recruitment uh, as planned. That's maybe what people are most asking us questions about. Yeah, and I, and, and I think that you just touched on, on the two topics that, if I would say, represent 99.9% of the questions that were asked, yeah. rightly so. Um, I think that on, on Paradigm, uh, you know, we're confident that we can deliver on the on the timeline. Uh, you know, we've, we've heard uh, loud and clear from the market that, you know, there, there's a need for a little bit of extra transparency in how yeah. we are progressing on that, uh, on that uh, front. And I think that we are planning on, on, on giving some updates as we, uh, as we progress um, and we reach certain um, thresholds on recruitment. So uh, that will give confidence, hopefully, to the market yeah. uh, in, the, uh, in the coming uh, months. And also, you know, the, the interim data on, on Paradigm, uh, it's a futility analysis only. It will come mid of the year, June, July. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's again, it will really eliminate a lot of the eventually perceived risk, not only because it shows that that we have recruited a number of patients, but also that the efficacy that we see in the pivotal trial is comparable or at least well above the threshold that the regulators have uh, set up for approval. So yep. that, that is a very important milestone that will come mid of the year. And then I fully agree. I think that we're all very excited. We want to see the next three patients on, on Archer, but also I think that the next 10, because even if... Yeah. Uh, if three, you know, we're very happy that it's three complete responders. Maybe we will get a worse data on the next three, but we've seen as well on Limerick 3701 on the previous trial that you can get a lot of variability on very low numbers. So I think that I want to see, of course, the second court. I'm, I'm dying to get to see the data, uh, but also I think that we need to, to wait until we have finalized the uh, 15 or so patients on, on Archer to yeah. get a sense of the real value of the combination. I think yeah, that, and I, that should I, come at the end of the year. I agree. I, f I forgot about that. The, the interim data to, to show that you can move, move on. Will uh, though we don't get any 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 data, we will get the green light to, to move on, and we know what that really means. So yep. but that's true. That's one of the milestones that's important. In terms of uh, recruitment for for Paradigm, mm. um, are you working in a different way now uh, against uh, clinics uh, or hospitals than you were before? Uh, is is it is it giving results? Well, no. I think that it's not that we're working in a in a different way. I think that there's two things. One, we were late on opening the sites, and and again, I've I've uh, I've mentioned the mea culpa uh, many times. You know, it's like. Because this is something that it's also in the hands of the CRO, but but at the end, it's more or less in your hands. It's a complex, it's a complex trial. We've opened 24 countries for a company our size. This is a major undertaking. This is a a complex trial to set up because you need the nuclear medicine department, you need the uh, the hematology department. So also the logistics inside the hospital until they recruit and they 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 are aligned is not easy and probably we underestimated a little bit that difficulty. So we've been late and that has been the biggest uh, reason behind the, uh, the being late. And you know, we, there's no more that we can say that say like, yes, we were late and, and, and we probably could have done a little bit better. I think that on the recruitment, we keep learning what works, what doesn't work. I think that there's, you know, definitely there's, we cannot pull more feet on the ground. You know, we're involved myself and, and other people in visiting the sites directly and ensuring that the sites understand the importance of the, of the recruitment, not only for the company, but for the compound and to make sure that betalutin can get to the, to the market uh, as soon as possible. But this is a, a difficult to recruit trial and there are not that many patients and, and suddenly you recruit 
no patience in a site and for three months you don't know why and, and despite the fact that they are very excited and looking for patients suddenly in one week they may find two patients and so the only thing that you can do is be there be on top of the sites uh, and really probably what we're doing now more is try to find reference centers so trying to find hospitals around those centers that will send patients which is the same as increasing the number of sites without the um, the administrative burden so it's like mm -hmm maybe regional hospitals that when they get a patient will send the patient for a treatment at the uh, at the um, uh, site that we have uh, enrolling uh, you, it's a pain, you, painful process we will keep updating the market yeah yeah would you say the the, the speed of the recruitment has uh, changed for the better or, or is it stable I mean, every quarter we recruit more patients than the previous quarter. Yeah. I would love to see uh, even more patients coming. So um, I'm, I'm never going to have enough. Um, but, you know, things are uh, keep improving as, as more sites have been ready to enroll. Patients get the experience. Some sites are seeing, uh, you know, the first results. So the doctors get excited as well to offer patients. So it, it's... It's an ongoing process, and uh, you know, so far with what we've seen, we remain confident on, on our guidance. I think we have uh, one other questions from the listeners on, on that uh, on that hand too. So I think we we'll take it uh, take it now, uh, because uh, the the listener is wondering if it's true that doctors in the U.S. must be certified or trained to administer uh, better lutein uh, to the patients and if this is uh, maybe what's uh, affecting recruitment or will it uh, affect when better lutein is actually on the market? So um, I think that there's a little bit of, of, uh, of um, uh, melange in, in, in what the uh, listener has understood. Uh, to administer better lutein, to administer a radiopharmaceutical, you, you need to be a certified um, administrator, so to speak. It could be a nurse. You don't need to be a doctor. You need someone that is certified. Okay. Um, the beauty is that, you know, uh, an endocyte uh, is some phase three clinical trial. And more important, Luthathera, the product that has been launched by, uh, by Novartis after acquiring AAA, is having a phenomenal success. Mm. And this is a product that needs to be administered repeatedly also by a, by a qualified person. So having a qualified person only means that in, in the hospital, someone knows how to handle radiopharmaceutical compounds and is the person that will inject the product directly to the patient. It's, it's, not, it's not a barrier. Uh, it's not uh, different. It's, it's true that it has a specific name in the US. We don't think that this has nothing to do with any difficulty in the future in the market. Mm -hmm. And this comes to every new treatment. I mean, you have to learn the treatment and how you give it to the patient. Yeah, it's, so. it's true that, you know, here you cannot train all the nurses because, you know, you need a nurse that is trained in radiopharmaceutical. Mm. But as, as I've just mentioned, we're not the first one. We're definitely going to, by the time Betalutin makes it to the market, every single site in which we're going to be going will have this extremely uh, oiled. The system will be there. So um, we don't see this as a barrier for the adoption of Betaluti. Okay, good to hear. Yeah, uh, we have two more questions from uh, the listeners and maybe we'll go first, uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of excitement, uh, of course, around the, uh, the Archer studies. I think the rest of the questions uh, relate to that. <laughs> not, think, surprised. Uh, not surprising. Not <laughs> surprising. Um, so we can start with the first one. Uh, will we get clinical results from the Archer study after the next three or six patients? So 
Yes, what we've um, uh, promised to the market is that once we have the data on the second court, uh, we will communicate. Um, again, there's, there is a fine balance between what you can communicate uh, without jeopardizing maybe a big presentation at Congresses that have a very important impact as well on the future of the company. So um, there's going to be some information uh, and uh, the company will, again, we've, we've heard the market telling us that we need to be more open in some of our communications and, uh, you know, we are, we're listening and we are adapting and I think that uh, indeed we will, uh, we will be providing some update to the market once we have the second court data available. Mm. It's a thin line with communication. Uh, sometimes you communicate too much and then people misunderstand and sometimes you communicate too little and then they start to speculate. I see, I see your head of communication behind you nodding. <laughs> and, and, and it's hard work. And, yeah, and not, uh, it doesn't matter what you do, you will never have 100% of the people happy. No, no, so, um, that will so never I think happen. That pro probably we were a little bit too much on the... Uh, too strict. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that we're going to be uh, telling ev everything on everything because that's not. You cannot run a company like this, uh, and you need to be careful as well that you don't even uh, jeopardize your clinical trials by giving too much information, mm -hmm. uh, because that may have an impact on, on on clinical trials that are open. So you need to be very very careful on what you can communicate. Um, but definitely, there will be an update on the Archer data when we have the second court. Okay, good to hear. The next uh, question from uh, one of the listeners is, uh, is the enrollment progressing faster after the results from the three first patients turned out to be three out of three complete responders? Uh, and how has this been received among the hospitals? Well, I think that the, you know, doctors were very impressed. I mean, it's difficult not to be impressed when you have three out of three. But I think that doctors are also uh, probably better uh, equipped to understand that Three out of three may mean three out of ten if the next seven fail. Um, so they know that this is a, a, a you know this is a, a, a trial in which you do patients three by three, and I think that they will. It's easier that if we had zero out of three, definitely. But I think that doctors will put the right patient in the trial. I don't think that they will rush into recruiting the wrong patient. So it it always helps, but I don't think that it it changes the picture. And you know. Also, you would expect a good response in second line by, by a combination therapy out of, of, uh, of um, betalutin. So let's wait until we have the data. Let's wait until we have the, you know, the full data set. And then you know, I think that doctors will, will be more or less excited. Um, I think that is a little bit premature to, to jump. And I think that we need to be very good at telling the people, and I think that we're being very responsible here, that they should not draw conclusions on three patients, as happy as we are with the data. Eh? Don't get me wrong. Yep, I think that uh, wraps it up, uh, Elisabeth. Yeah, if not, uh, Jonas has some final, uh, final <laughs> words no, of I'm, wisdom. I'm, uh, I'm always excited, but waiting for this, uh, this uh, data, and... Uh, I think there will be a good data because of the consistency of the earlier data in the Lemerit uh, study. It was not that uh, one patient was complete response at once and the, then suddenly it was one that didn't re react and g get a good results. So uh, I, I believe it will be good results. Well, 
I'm, I'm, I'm also convinced, but you know, it's good uh, <laughs> to, to get for the data. I would like to take the opportunity to thank DNB. I mean, not only the podcast because you know, I, I, I've been invited and been very lucky uh, to share this with uh, with uh, some of you. But I think that this is is, is a great conference, and it's uh, you know, we're we're really honored to be part of it and and be here to present. And having the post podcast here, I think that. Uh, is, is something that you should keep doing in yeah. the future because I think it's a great, it was a great initiative. I, I actually attended the, the first DNB Health Conference about 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, it should like be 10 that. years ago. Yeah. yeah, and it was a small conference then. So things are happening here. Yeah, congratulations. I actually discussed this with Ostan Sarga last year. How many DNB Nordic Health Conference you have had? And I think he was up to 15. Okay. Yeah. So well, I think it depends <laughs> how you count. How you, how you count. count. How you count. <laughs> it's always how you count. <laughs> okay, but uh, again, Eduardo, thank you so much for uh, coming here. Uh, great to have you, and, and, and great that you could provide us with uh, an update on, on how you are progressing. Uh, very exciting. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Denne podcasten og dets innehåll skal anses som markedsføringsmateriell fra DNB og må ikke oppfattes som investeringsanbefaling eller som investeringsanalyse. Innehållet skal heller ikke anses for å være investeringsrådgivning tilpasset den enkelte kundes behov. Informasjonen som gis i podcasten er kun ment som generell spareveiledning og er ikke ment å utgjøre juridisk, finansiell, kommersiell, skattemessig eller regnskapsmessig rådgivning. Innholdet i sendingen er ikke gjennomgått eller godkjent av DNB Markets avdeling for analyse. Alle uttalelser reflekterer DNBs vurderinger på tidspunktet for den aktuelle sendingen, og kan i etterkant endres uten nærmere beskjed. DNB er ikke ansvarlig for hvordan informasjonen i podcasten benyttes eller tolkes. Informasjonen som henviser til historisk avkastning i finansielle instrumenter, en finansiell indeks eller prognoser, gir ingen garanti for fremtidig avkastning. DNB gjør oppmerksom på at enhver investering i et finansielt instrument er forbundet med risiko for økonomisk tap. Finansielle instrumenter kan både øke og minske verdi, slik at avkastning kan bli negativ som følge av kursfall. DNB tar intet ansvar for direkte eller indirekte tap og kostnader som måtte oppstå ved bruk av den informasjonen som gis i podcasten.